No Direction Network presents Pfizercon 2022 Seminar Coverage. For more great convention coverage, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Declassifying the Dark Archive. This is our panel all about the Dark Archive, our summer release for the Pathfinder rulebook line. Um, I'm James Case, uh, senior designer at Paizo, and I was the project lead for this book. And with me are some cool people to help talk about the paranormal. Uh, first up, we have Avi. Hi, um, I'm Avi Cool. I'm lead editor at Paizo, and I was one of the two edit leads on this book. Cool. And next we have Logan. Hi, I'm Logan Bonner. I'm the Pathfinder lead designer. Uh, and I did a lot of passes on this book, though uh, James was the, the one in charge. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, we have Tessa. Hello, I'm Kay Tessa Newton. Up until very recently, I was uh, an editor at uh, Paizo. I am still contracting, and I was co-edit lead on this book. And I'm so excited to show you guys some really cool stuff from it today. Yeah. Uh... I think we're all super excited for this book. It is, it's a book all about the paranormal and it is very weird. Uh, and let's take a look at the final cover, um, which we have yes. here and which I recently learned we had a preview copy of in the store. So I got to see the physical. Yeah, so this is a dark archive. This is 224 pages all about the paranormal. It is coming out at Gen Con. Uh, and some of you who have been, especially in Org Play, might recognize the name Dark Archive. Um, kind of in Pathfinder lore, this was a faction all about, you know, secrets, mysteries, kind of plumbing the depths of all the weird stuff that happens on Galarian. Um, but it doesn't exist in the Pathfinder Society anymore. Not quite. It was sort of, uh, it was sort of absorbed uh, into the rest of the factions at some point, and. Kind of the 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 premise of this book is that what if one person just grabbed some of the files uh, as the doors are being shut and just booked it with these last couple case files? Um, Tessa, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about this person? I would absolutely love to. Um, the narrator, I guess, sort of the the yeah, the narrator, the writer of the dark archive in universe in on Galarian. Um, is uh, a character known by initials, KHW. Um, he's a really cool character, um, and uh, like James said, he used to be a member of the Pathfinder Dark Archive faction, and he didn't like where things were sort of going um, organizationally, and he decided to abscond with uh, these, these case files that, for some reason, always kind of... Um, he, he felt something about them. Um, he, he could never solve them, but he, he felt they were connected. Um, and uh, one of the things that, uh, James is letting me talk about this right now because uh, James and I um, worked together uh, really closely to kind of establish sort of the tone for our point of view character, the, the writer behind the book. Um, and he's so cool. I love him he's a big nerd um and uh yeah he's he's a very interesting character with uh uh secrets of his own and stuff and i'm i'm excited for you all to meet him yeah um Tessa did a lot of work establishing his voice and i think it's it's really cool and sort of in the tradition of books like the one logan uh 
did a lot with that just came out with a uh, book of the dead for instance yeah so we'll get to so. the so we'll get to the eight case files uh, later, but of course, if you're gonna delve into the paranormal, first you need to train yourself up. And so there's a lot of stuff in this book, but two of the big things, as you all know, uh, are the two new classes. So we have, first off, we have the psychic and we have the thaumaturge. And I think we have uh, a picture of them encountering the unknown here a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I really like this piece a lot. Uh, I think it it's just like, Sometimes you, you run into something and you don't know what that is. Uh, so um, we had a play test back in the last fall, uh, like we've had with many of our, or I think with all of our classes. Um, and I just wanna take a moment to say thanks to everybody for participating in the play test. Uh, we got a lot of really good feedback, a lot of really great responses, and that let us move forward and develop the classes and sort of see where see where they were going and see where they might need to adjust a little bit. Uh, and so they both got a lot of love. Um, so we have two, we have the psychic and the thaumaturge. So uh, I used to be an editor, so let's just go alphabetically and start with the psychic. Um, so the psychic is one of the two new classes. Uh, they are a occult spellcaster. I think we have a picture of the new iconic here. Uh, if some of you were at the keynote, I think you might have gotten a look at uh, him earlier. Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, this is Thaleon. He is our new iconic psychic. He is a painter from Rahadum, uh, and he is an elf. Uh, so I really like him. Linda Zayas Palmer did, uh, the character, did the backstory for this. And of course we have, uh, some great art by Wayne Reynolds. Um, the psychic has changed quite a lot since the playtest. Uh, they're still an occult caster and they still have, uh, this focus on, sort of where a lot of classes have um, maybe a choice that you make such as uh, you know a wizard's thesis or a sorcerer's bloodline the psychic splits this into a subconscious mind that's where they get their power uh, and a conscious mind that's something more like uh, telekinesis or something more like telepathy or how they do it um, we've had a lot of changes to the psychic uh, since the playtest i think some of them are just that uh, the subconscious mind is now a little bit of a more, uh, what am I gonna say this? The subconscious mind is a little bit of a uh, more straightforward um, ability where it sets whether you can cast with intelligence for some of them where you're a more precise psychic or charisma, which has to do with generally a more sort of uh, emotions and abstract sort of sense of power. Um, their ability to go into this essentially kind of rage state uh, called Unleashed Psyche is something that they can get into a lot more consistently now. Um, I know in the playtest, you kind of needed to work up to it a lot. And we were like, now nah, you should just be able to, to kind of unleash your power after a little bit of shorter time. And they now have a large number of abilities that they can use while their psyche is unleashed um, that are things like just dealing some damage or uh, kind of soothing their allies' thoughts to kind of help them a bit. Um, and of course, they still have a signature ability to cast a bunch of cantrips. And then unlike other classes that might have specific focus spells, they can spend focus points to amp their cantrips to make them do more stuff or to give them more abilities. And here we have a list of all of the subconscious and conscious minds coming. In the final one, there's four subconsciouses, uh, emotional acceptance, which is all about your feelings, gathered lore, which is an intelligence-based 
ability where they kind of, you know, you're like formally trained at a psychic institute, precise discipline, where you use a lot of, uh, where you, you have a very kind of hard handle on your powers and wandering reverie where you're kind of just, you daydream a lot. You might, you might think, oh, I wish I had that glass of water and then it floats over to you. So this is where you get your power. Uh, and then your conscious mind is what you do with it. So we have the three from the playtest, distant grasp, which is all telekinesis, infinite eye, which is clairvoyance, and silent whisper, which is telepathy. And we have three new ones, which are the oscillating wave, which has to do with um, basically moving energy from one place to another. Uh, you can either kind of slow thing, you can either kind of uh, cool things or, or burn them. You know, it's your very kind of uh, energy-based one. Uh, tangible dream, which is the one of our iconic, our iconic psychic Thalion, where you project objects made out of force, like walls or blades or bubbles, and unbound step, which has to do with teleportation, phasing, space bending, that kind of thing. So um, there's a lot of new options. I think there's you know there's a total of 24 you can make just with these adjustments, not even bringing in your feats and that kind of thing. Um, and your subconscious mind will give you cool abilities to use in your psyche, and your conscious mind will give you all of you know your spells and your uh, and your special cantrips and that kind of thing. So I'm really looking forward uh, to the psychic um, a lot. I think there's a lot of cool things you can do with uh, that. So that is our class that kind of like unleashes the unknown. They they use these unknown powers. Um, our second class is one that, you know, is more about studying it. And for this, I think I'm going to turn things over to uh, Logan and Avi. So do you want to tell us about the Thaumaturge? Sure. I'll start off by talking about the kind of the, the overview of the class here. Uh, so the Thaumaturge, uh, as you saw in the playtest, is kind of the, the class that knows a bunch of stuff and hoards a bunch of items and, and trinkets and tools and other esoterica that they can use to uh, to make the most of uh, of their their knowledge and use that against their enemies and uh, and uh, there are different ways that they do that but a lot of it is like I found just the right thing to fight this this demon so I pull out this sliver of weird stuff I picked up three years ago in a market in Absalom. <laughs> and combine it with this, this rare herb that I harvested this morning to make the perfect antidote to, to fight off this monster. Uh, they, they still have that, that, that was kind of the feel in the playtest, and that's still preserved in the final one. So most of what we changed was kind of to uh, make it run a little better and play a little better uh, at the table um, and to kind of keep expanding on things. Uh, the, the main thing here is, and you can see from the iconic, which uh, I'll have uh, Avi talk about in just a moment here, um, that it's just like you, you you can just be completely loaded up with stuff yeah there you go there's neos um they're wearing you know i mean they look like a tank basically uh uh or like a walking cabinet um and you know there's you can you can see that like every piece of gear is like ornate and has this backstory and we really want to encourage that with people playing their characters to like come up with a little story for every single strange thing you're doing because um, one of the ideas of the thaumaturge is like you don't necessarily go about your stuff the same way as anybody else. Um, like if three different wizards all went to the same wizard school, they might cast fireball in the same way. Uh, but a thaumaturge is going to have just whatever haphazard collection of thrift shop junk they picked up um, that they can they can use to the uh, party's advantage. Uh, Avi, do you want to talk uh, in more depth about Mios, our iconic thaumaturge? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Mios is from uh, Kalifas in Ustalov, which is a pretty grim place and kind of sets the tone for the character growing up in this environment where everything is pretty sinister all the time. And so Mios gets into a near-death uh, experience that will set them on the road to becoming a thaumaturge by um, by the way that they save themselves. So using different implements, different, uh, different cures for uh, protecting themselves makes them realize that they have this power to... Um, to get their there to control the world around them in really unusual ways using the things that they find so i got to write the iconic uh the meet the iconic and got to work with james case to develop the character it was super awesome i can't wait for you all to see the meet the iconic fiction yeah I see uh, Paper Ninja in chat is saying that they can't wait to see what people's character art looks like for the Thaumaturge. And I know I was seeing a couple of around the playtest. There's a very good uh, Hobgoblin one I saw somewhere. That was great. I can't remember the artist off the top of my head, but it was very good. So yeah. Yeah, um, this is also, Mios this is, is a character concept where it's like, oh, we need somebody covered in gear and we have R Wayne Reynolds doing our art. I think, I think we got this. I think he'll manage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, so Mios's implement, uh, which you can see in that image is the lantern, but there's a bunch of other implements as well. Logan, do you wanna kind of run us through the new ones and kind of summarize? Sure, uh, I'll go for that. Um, so there are, there's there's kind of a big three theme throughout this class um, that, there are, that gives us three active implements, three active ones, or sorry, three active implements that you kind of use uh, against something uh, on your turn three reactive ones that let you react to something they do, and then three passive ones that kind of give you a benefit all the time. Um, so you can kind of pick your play style with that. Um, you can see from this list uh, that there are uh, several new implements. We have the bell, the mirror, regalia, and a tome. Um, Mios's implement there pretty clearly is that lantern. Uh, the lantern is all about, uh, is the kind of thing that they would need where they grew up, I think. Um, but some of the new ones, like the regalia is kind of, you know, fancy stuff you wear if you want to have like an even nicer uh, get up or maybe be like a noble person or a socialite or something. That's something that could uh, fit into your story really well. Um, the tome is all about, you know, recording things and having knowledge at hand. Um, the bell uh, has like different tones you can ring on it. So that's kind of a, a fun one. Um, and then the mirror, uh, which I did a little bit of a spoiler on one of our previous Paizo Lives, um, lets you make a mirror duplicate of yourself so you can kind of be in two places at once. Um, so there are a lot of different ways to play the Thaumaturge and uh, a lot of variety. Uh, like even in the playtest, we had quite a bit of variety and it's, we just kind of like, what is a, another play style we could get so we can really make those characters stand out from one another as much as possible? Yeah, and they, of course, have their pretty signature ability to, you know, they identify the weakness of a creature, whether that's like, oh, that's a werewolf. I know that that has silver. And then they use silver against a creature to deal just really a lot of damage. Like they are a martial character yeah. through and through. <laughs> or if it's something that's a little more esoteric, they have this kind of ability to make up a weakness. Uh, the one that, you know, Mark Seifert was very fond of is if you're fighting 
you know, um, you if you're fighting something like a devil that's all about imprisonment, you can use like a broken chain and that creates like this sort of like conceptual connection. And then you're like, well, because this chain is broken, it harms you. And it's kind of that theme that we have in a lot of uh, monsters where you can kind of play on their weaknesses to deal extra damage. So yeah, um, yeah those two. That's the one where it's like, yeah, most there's not a normal weakness, but I, I can find something. Yeah. Don't worry. I know there is I'll a find thread. what you're allergic to. <laughs> <laughs> there's a good thread on the forum coming up with uh, with sort of these, um, what you would use against what creatures. And it's just, there's a lot of kind of narrative room for expression there. That's a lot of fun. So those are our two classes. We have uh, a spellcaster who uses the unknown, and we have a more martial and skills-based character who kind of just researches it and knows how to dismantle it. Um, so that's that's what you do to get yourself trained up as a dark archivist. Um, but then we also have these eight case files to go through. Um, so let's take a look at the final list here. Um, these are the stolen case files, and these are the eight things that we'll be seeing in the dark archive. Um, we have cryptids, which I think is pretty, uh, pretty classic secret societies. We have deviant abilities, which are spontaneous supernatural abilities that kind of can't be explained. Mirrors and imposters for all of your uh, duplicates and doppelganger shenanigans. Uh, cults, uh, which focuses a lot on like ancient and lost religion, curses and pacts, temporal anomalies and mindscapes. Uh, and I just want to shout out these icons that uh, are uh that our director on this project sonia morris did i think that they are just absolutely fantastic and they really helped to set the tone of things um each file here kind of begins with some it begins with some in-universe writing by this khw this archivist who kind of goes off and like he goes through the files that have been kind of reported from archivists all over galarian about this. The scope is very global. We have a lot in the inner sea, but we may just easily hear about something that went down uh, somewhere in Kazmaran or somewhere in Arcadia or somewhere in Tianxia. Um, and then the middle will, the middle of each case file will give you all sorts of mechanics, whether that's systems that a GM can use or whether that's player archetypes or new spells or items. Uh, and then it concludes with a mini adventure. Um, so basically you first learn about this paranormal thing then you get all these options to help play with the thing. And then you have to like go in and experience the thing. Um, so we have one of those for each of the case files. So let's just take a, let's take a walk through them here. Uh, first up we have cryptids. Tessa, do you want to tell us a bit about cryptids? I would absolutely love to. Cryptids are very near and dear to my heart. I consider myself a cryptid. Um, uh, shout outs to all the cryptids in chat. <laughs> Um, I, I wanted to tell a little sort of, um, uh, a little anecdote from when we were, uh, like brainstorming Dark Archive, um, and kind of get to, and this will also share some stuff about like the sort of, um, idea of the book overall as well, but, um, you know, there's so many things in the Pathfinder setting, there's so many pieces of, uh, cataloged magic and, and different planes of existence and all of these various things. And um, none of these things are, they might be uncommon, they might be rare, but they're not unheard of. They're not inexplicable. And so when we sat down we to- You know that people can cast fireball, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and so when we sat down to like 
look at, okay, so what is in a book about things people don't know? Well, what are those creatures like? What are those spells like? What are the things that even in a world with magic and the rest, people can't explain? Um, and I think that that is such a cool hook. Um, James did an amazing job uh, leading those brainstorms and, and coming up with all this stuff. And um, cryptids, uh, the whole cryptid section is sort of about the ways that cryptids themselves and other strange creatures like them kind of leave indelible marks on the mortals that they encounter. Um, we have, you know, archetypes and feats for people who have, you know, brushed up with various kinds of cryptids and the sort of the abilities that, you know, result from these things are um, oftentimes very much, you know, indica indicate the kind of creature that you, um, that, that you encountered. Uh, there are, there is cryptid gear in here. So like if you, you know, slay a terrible, uh, impossible monster and then, um, you know, take its teeth, maybe that does something. Who's to say? Um, it's really, really cool. I also love the art that, that we popped up there. Um, can we uh, go uh, back to that art for a second? Yeah. If we can go up really quickly. Um, it's so good. Can I, I I'm going to, I want to say the, the name of this thing, if that's quite all right. Um, yeah, for it. which is, this is the rumored owl bear. It's not just an owl, owl bear. It's a rumor of an owl bear. Um, and rumored is one of the various different kinds of like cryptid adjustments, uh, that we've, um, that we've whipped up here for sort of, you know, sure this creature defies explanation or, or logic. Um, but why, where did it come from? You know, was it the result of, you know, terrible experiments. Did people just talk about it enough to, you know, give rise to it? Like our, like our friend, the owl bear here. Um, it's such, it's such cool stuff. And, and I really like that this is the first case file too. Um, uh, because it's sort of, I feel like it's, it's a very tangible expression of the unknown. It's a thing and you don't know what it is, but it's out there somewhere. Very spooky. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Um, so that's that's how we're going to enter the case files. Uh, Logan, do you want to take the next one? Sure. Uh, the next case file is Secret Societies. Uh, and this one uh, it starts out telling you kind of the general idea of why secret societies, secret societies exist and their structure, and then goes into some specific ones that are on the world of Galarian. Um, a lot of those are, uh, are ones that you've heard about before um in first edition or other products and then there's some new stuff in there as well uh one of the cool things about the format of this book is it can really uh we we have a lot of mixing of uh, of the old and the new uh that um that can really give you a broad uh picture of each of these um the subjects of these case files uh this section i think is especially suited for like rogues and bards because there's a lot of like sneaking around and diplomacy and secrecy uh, around the secret societies. The last one may be a little uh, obvious. Um, <laughs> and then uh, some of the tools that you get in there include secret society gear, which is pretty cool because it's kind of like spycraft items. There's a lot of like self-destructing notes and uh, you know ink that disappears, false bottom mugs, that kind of thing, stuff that you can use to uh, to communicate or uh, identify yourself as a secret secret society member. Um, speaking of which, 
Uh, we have a section on getting membership into a secret society. Uh, we have services that you can get from secret societies. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that shows, you know, if this is a, a communal structure that you're getting involved with, here's what it can do for you. Uh, that So you can incorporate that into your game uh, and role play it out. Um, the other thing that we have in here are some skill feats um, that uh, a lot of them are similar to the some of the occult skill unlocks from Occult Adventures. They're kind of in the same vein. So if you're familiar with that book from first edition, you'll get the basic sense of this. So this lets you like take a skill feat uh, to use psychometry to kind of figure out what happened to an item by reading its psychic impressions. Uh, and that's something you I can do without have, necessarily uh... even needing a spell to do it. Yeah, I think we have a oh, yeah, we have cure the, that yeah. right here. Yeah, Quinn is yeah. Uh, getting a vision. Uh, yeah, tapping Ooh. into the uh, the history of this item. Uh, yeah, so this is a this is a pretty cool option for people who aren't necessarily spellcasters, um, but can uh, develop these techniques through through uh, training and uh, maybe some some secret society shenanigans, so that they can get a little bit of uh, uh, of uh, occultism in their life. Yeah. Uh, Michael Raccoon, who is uh, one of the cover authors on this book, along with myself and Mark Seifter, did the lore for this. He did a lot of stuff in this book, but the lore on this goes really deep into like kind of this structure, whether it's very hierarchical, whether it's like a little bit more like cell based that I think really helps to set the tone there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this was kind of a, a what if you're just a normal person who has to get together, you know, with other people to deal with the paranormal. And the next case file is the exact opposite of that. Uh, the next one we have is Deviant Abilities. Um, these are supernatural powers that are not, you know, that are not classical magic. They're not, e they're not blessed by a deity. They're not even, you have, uh, you know, you have magical blood from like an ancestor. This is just, you walked by a weird monolith and now you can do some stuff. <laughs> um, I think we have a, a good picture here kind of illustrating uh, you know, Valoros for some reason can now do a thing that Valoros usually can't. Uh, these deviant abilities are kind of a persistent thing you can use in your campaign, much like Wellspring magic or persistent magic. Um, they give you some, basically, uh, they give you a certain type of supernatural ability. So one of them is called dragon. Dragon type abilities can basically all are about energy there you shoot energy out of your eyes or you breathe it out of your mouth or you can you know absorb it uh into yourself and all that kind of thing um but of course uh, one of the hallmarks of these abilities uh when we were when we were doing our internal brainstorm i asked you know is it it like does it feel more paranormal if you have these abilities or does it feel more and you can just kind of use them or does it feel more paranormal if you can you know there there's something weird about using them they feel kind of like you shouldn't be using them and overwhelmingly everybody was like no we want we want to have the thing where we you know bleed out the nose a little bit when we use our powers so these are very unstable you can use them but kind of the more you use them the more you chance that you might have some sort of backlash um and uh you can either incorporate these into a character for just like a short period of time like you know you walk by the creepy monolith and you get the power to project this, your spirit out of your body but you know once you leave the monolith that power may not stay with you or it, you can um, build them in as a kind of longer term part of your progression. Uh, it kind of just depends on how you as a GM want to use them. Uh, and this section also contains uh, some of the new spells that are kind of based off power users. Um, some of these are things we have for like the psychic. So, you know, we need a little bit 
we needed some more spells that had to do with, you know, we just needed some more telekinesis, for instance. And some of them are some returning ones from first edition, like etheric shards, for instance. So yeah, these are our unstable uh, supernatural powers. Uh, Avi, why don't you take us into the next file? Yes, the next case file is the mirrors file, which is near and dear to my heart because I got to write the adventure for it. But it starts off uh, with a little bit of lore, like all the case files do, and then goes straight into a huge selection of mirror related and uh, hazards. And that so this is a great chapter for GMs in addition to being good for players. So things like um, a classic kind of hall of mirrors situation. Um, and then we also in here have a very cool new versatile heritage, which is what this picture is here. Um, the mirror duplicate versatile heritage. You can have a few different um, origins. Uh, if you take this versatile heritage, either you could be a mirror duplicate, or uh, you could be a clone, or you could be uh, risen from some kind of polymorph uh, magic gone wrong. And then the adventure in this chapter, I can't say much about it, but basically it is a haunted house with a twist. So it has a lot in common with a standard dungeon crawl. But there are differences mechanically and role-playing wise that will make it a little bit unexpected for players. So it should be fun. I really like the um, reflection versatile heritage here. You get some pretty, uh, you get some pretty fun abilities. And there's a sidebar about you know like maybe if you're playing as a reflection and you get and you get kind of too deep into the role, maybe you get into conflicts with you know whoever you're the original person you're based off of us it's uh it's pretty tropey you do not have to have a goatee if you do not want to um, i suppose <laughs> uh the next file we have is about cults um this is a file i was super excited uh for um i think that cults are very classic uh in fantasy but there's also a lot of views of cults that i think uh are also very interesting. Um, Sol, one of our editors, uh, um, wrote a lot of the lore for the cult case file and went really deep into things like, um, you know, what is what is a cult when you really get back to it? And it's like a Greek kind of mystery cult or like a religion that people used to practice that isn't really practiced anymore. So um, where secret societies are about kind of this sort of more mundane people coming together with just kind of skills and gear and knowledge. Uh, the cults are very much about interacting with the divine in just a very weird way. Um, so one thing that we uh, put on the product page here is uh, what happens when, you know, cults kind of go wrong a little bit, um, which is the living vessel archetype, uh, which I, we have some very cool art of we can get up here. Uh, yeah, the living vessel archetype is an archetype that happens when an entity that is much more powerful than a mortal gets kind of sealed into a mortal or chooses a mortal as sort of an avatar of some kind. Um, the living vessel is kind of like the Sterling Dynamo in uh, Guns and Gears, if you're familiar with that, in that there's some things that kind of you can do no matter what your entity is. Uh, maybe your entity is a fae, or maybe it's a demon, or maybe it's an old one. Um, and those are shared. Uh, and then you also have some abilities that are specific. So this here is very clearly our um, kind of like Lovecraft inspired old one. And this 
the unique ability for this one is they can like reach out and uh, grab you. And when they do, it starts to deal like mental damage and confuse you and that kind of thing. But if you're a Fae, that might mean you you shatter into many like laughing duplicates of yourself. It kind of just depends. Um, the other thing we have in here that's a little more to this kind of like older, more classical version of cults is Apocryphal Divine Magic. These are uh, focus spells, like any other focus spell that a cleric or other divine spellcasters can take. But these deal with kind of these like older and more forgotten uh, and maybe sometimes a little more abstract or symbolic uh, associations. So, um, so we're the... For instance, the fire domain spells that we currently have are about shooting fire and you know deflecting fire around you and that kind of thing. Uh, but the cinder gaze spell here is about gazing into flames and kind of seeing portents of the future. Um, there's one that I like that's called uh, Frenzied Revelry, which belongs to the indulgence domain. It's very like Bacchanalia um, that gives a bonus to mental effects. And if you or your allies critically succeed against mental effects, you basically all kind of get swept up more and your bonuses increase. Um, we also have some cool rituals in here that kind of speak to that theme as well. Um, this kind of, you know, like you're all getting together to do a larger, more ceremonial kind of magic. Um, similar in some ways, but definitely a distinct thing are curses. Uh, Avi, you want to talk about curses and pacts? Yes, so we have curses and pacts together in one chapter because there is a bit of overlap in how we've decided to present them. So it starts off with... Um, a Pact's uh, Rare Witch Patron, uh, which is a super fun one because it's kind of role-playing based in a lot of ways. It's about how you interact with um, other with NPCs and can basically trap them into situations where they have to uh, be um, non-combative with you or else they take penalties. Um, I think we also called that focus spell over the coals, which I really like. Yes. Over the <laughs> coals is a really good name. Um, and then we have cursed items. Uh, we've got some art of a uh, cursed item here. Um, on the left, we have the really horrifying golden goose, which the way this works is you feed it a bloody heart and it uh, lays an egg worth 50 gold. But if you feed it a bloody heart uh, that you specifically from someone you killed in order to feed it to the golden goose, you get more money for doing worse murder. So <laughs> that is a delightful um, item. Um, on the right, we have the key to the stomach, which is a brand new type of um, uh, item category called bargained contracts. So uh, you might remember contracts coming up in Lost Omens Legends in the Abrogale, oh wow, Thrune <laughs> section. <laughs> Easy for me to say. We've all done uh, it. In that <laughs> book. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is kind of inspired by that, except it goes in a different direction where um, you make a pact with an entity and it places a curse on you, but also you can activate a benefit from it. So that key to the stomach, um, the it can the entity can neutralize uh, any consumables that you that you take and use them for themselves. But also uh, once a day, not always. But um, also you can use it to neutralize poisons yourself. So you get one thing and you lose another is kind of the idea of those. Um, we also have a new category um, called uh, tempted curse, which is similar to the bargain contracts, but less. Um, 
less permanent. And so there's one like where it makes your skin fall off, but it uh, prevents you from taking, or it gives you resistance to bleed damage. So yeah. just, uh, it's kind of a gnarly chapter, which is really <laughs> One of the things that I really like about this chapter is, uh, you know, in Pathfinder, curses are kind of, they're a negative, right? They're things like, oh, I have a bag of holding. Oh no, everything is weasels now. Um, they're kind of just inherently, oh, Tessa, did you not know about the bag of weasels? <laughs> um, I didn't know about the bag of weasels. Now I do. Um, <laughs> but like cursed items have always been very much just kind of only a debuff. And we see that, you know, in a lot of fiction, but we also see things like I was cursed with immortality. And I was like, well, that's a curse, but that's also very convenient sometimes. Um, or, you know, I was, I was cursed with a black hole in my hand and be like, well, that's very convenient. Mm -hmm. So the kind of the bargain contracts and the tempted curses are a way to kind of get that flavor of, well, I have a curse and it's, and the curse is definitely negative, but there are ways I can kind of lean into it to my benefit. Um, next, uh, let us get nonlinear. Next we have temporal anomalies. Oh, I love to get nonlinear. <laughs> Um, yes, Temporal Anomalies, um, a very cool part of this book, um, and is all about the various ways that time has gotten uh, all jumped up across Galarian. Um, and one of my favorite things about this chapter, um, specifically about the lore parts of this chapter, is that it's not just one. Um, that would have been so boring. It's not like, you know, there's one sort of explanation of like, timelines and, you know, the ways in which that gets messed up. It's all sorts of kinds of things, weird little pockets that show up across the world that make no sense. Uh, something where a place where the next day is always fire day. Um, it's great. Uh, but the really cool stuff in here, I think, is the ways that we've like mechanically expressed messing around with time. I think this is a really hard thing to do in games, especially like cooperative games, um, uh, games that you play with other people. And uh, James and Logan and the rest of the design team, I think, knocked it really out of the park. Um, because it's all about like how time's effects can be adjusted. Um, yeah. Because, of course, that's what we're allowing uh, players to do is, you know, they have the power to uh, adjust time and its flow and yeah. things with these various spells. Uh, my personal favorite of the new temporal spells, um, just like, you know, there's these, uh, you know, wild creatures that uh, ward timelines against, you know, meddling, and you get to just call one up and, and, and have it say hey, and probably do some really <laughs> messed up stuff. Um, I think we have some and then part along... of one of them here, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure this is Awaken Entropy, yeah. Um, which is basically you create a space where uh, things, where time moves faster, much, much faster. Um, and, you know, things don't, things in the world don't particularly like time. They like time in the amount that they usually get them. Um, and even then it erodes them over time. So that you can imagine how destructive that is. Um, we then also have two archetypes. We have the Time Mage and the Chrono Skimmer, each with a little bit of a different flavor. Um, time Mage, you know, it's it's you know focusing on studying time, on uh, figuring out how it works, and um, as magic 
distorts time, how those sort of rep, uh, ripple out and, and have um, effects on timelines and, and uh, cause people to get caught in the spaces between moments and things like that. Um, and that's still sort of rooted in uh, on Galarian. And then Chrono Skimmer, I really love. Um, I would like to share a really brief quote from the beginning because I think of its sort of like flavor because I think it's beautiful. Um, uh, most beings are carried downstream inexorably by time like a leaf floating on a river. Now you stand on the banks of the river, watching the flow, choosing where to dive in or even defying the current, at least for a short while, as you skim its surface and skip from moment to moment. As a chrono skimmer, time is yours to exploit. I love that. I love that. Um, <laughs> the, so cool. The Lauren mechanics intersection, I think the authors just really did a great job on this here. Um, the time age, you know, the time age is an archetype and the archetypes always have a dedication feat that tells you, you know, how you might have gotten to learn to be an archer, learn to be a, you know, beastmaster. And the time age, which was written by Dan Cascone, what it just says, you are not a time mage now, but in the future you will be. And some of that knowledge starts to kind of leak back to you in the past, <laughs> which is that like, oh, that's, that's just, right. I love yeah. yeah. The time mage uh, is just like, one of the time mage things is you can like pull a, you're like, oh, I don't know this spell yet, but I will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Logan, why don't you I wanna uh, just take us Oh, Avi? Oh, yeah. I just really want to call out the prose writing in this book is probably my favorite of any book it's that really we published, um, yeah. just in, in terms of the character and the voice. And it's always a little bit um, curious and a little bit skeptical as well. So mm -hmm. that is really fun. I think that's really the strength of this book is how seamlessly, like, James led us to weaving together the like the narrative aspects of it with all of the things that you actually use throughout the game, like as you actually play as these characters and play through these stories. It's really cool. I mean, this was a hundred percent the the lore writers and the other designers on this project. This had a very large number of people on the project, and they all did a really great job on it. Uh, we have one more file. Logan, you want to take us home? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll finish out the, and now we're into the uh, bewildering metaphysical realms part of this, um, <laughs> going from temporal anomalies to mindscapes. So uh, mindscapes are environments entirely contained within uh, a, a thinking or dreaming or, uh, or a psychically powerful mind. Um, this concept was in first edition as well. So this is another one where you, you're going to see some of the, the parts of that carried forward. Um, so it starts off talking about like, what are mindscapes? Uh, what are some different times, types of mindscapes? What is it like to be inside one? Because it's uh, pretty different from being in the corporeal world. Um, and you know, what are the, the limitations of mindscapes? Uh, and then it goes, uh, we've got some rules for um, using rituals to create mindscapes or to try to create a mindscape door to get into or out of a mindscape. Um, and we have, because a mindscape is essentially um, uh, similar to like a, a, a plane or a extra dimensional area. Uh, it's kind of its own thing, but it's, it's similar to those in scope. Uh, we have a stat block for uh, what a mindscape looks like. So you can kind of get those, those basic ideas down. Um, and then we talk about psychic duels, which are, you know, similar to the duels in Game Mastery Guide. It's like, we are going to go into our minds and we are going to fight it out. Uh, entirely psychically. 
Um, one of the cool things about what we did with second edition is we introduced mental damage. So now we have kind of a spot where you can you can cast a fireball in someone's mind and it still kind of has the same end effect of a fireball. And you can, you know, knock somebody out in the real world by uh, through this, this psychic duel. Uh, one of the other things we did in this, similar to like a, a spell casting duel has its own uh, rules and setup and a, a physical duel has its own rules and setup, uh, a psychic duel also does. And you can use a mental skill to roll initiative and get a special benefit based around that skill. So for example, if you are trying to keep your guard up, you might use perception to create your armor of insight uh, to help you against attacks. Or if you're going into this duel angry, you might use intimidation uh, to create Iyer's spear uh, to kind of go more aggro. Um, we also talk about, uh, we, we have some adjustments to your attacks and defenses. And kind of anybody entering this is, is using the power of their mind, even if they don't necessarily do that in their day-to-day. -day. Like a barbarian isn't usually going around um, showing off their mental capabilities. Uh, but in a psychic duel, they're going to get some magic, uh, a natural psychic spell that's related to uh, to what they rolled to enter this. Uh, and they're, so that does so that means that even if a psychic is going up against a barbarian, the barbarian won't be entirely defenseless and just get stomped. Um, it's more like uh, you know if they engage in the real world, the barbarian would have the advantage, and in the psychic plane, the uh, psychic's going to have the advantage. Uh, we also so, talk a fair amount about kind of building the imagery of a psychic duel because so many things are, are up to your imagination. Uh, so I yeah. think it'll be a really fun type of, um, of encounter that you can incorporate into a game. So those are the eight case files. Um, but each one of them ends with this little micro adventure uh, that will kind of like... Um, they're, they're short, they're meant to be played in one or, you know, two if you really want to, you know, spend the time. Sessions, they take place at a single level and kind of like what we did with something like Doomsday Dawn, they each hop around uh, from level to level. Um, and they take place all over Galarian. Uh, and I'm just going to throw up a list of the eight micro-adventures to give you a hint of what's coming here. Uh, we have uh, The Beast of Bertrost by Ruby Bendel. We have Shaking the Helping Hand by Jabari Weathers. A Song of Making and Unmaking by Luis Loza. Lady of the Harvest by Avi Kuhl. The Verdure of Iblidos by Banana Chan. Wishes in Krasnoprudne by Michael Raccoon. Tomorrow's Feast by Quinn Murphy. And The Last Dream by Sen HHS and myself. Um, I think these are really cool. They each have a very different, uh, you know, they each take you to a different paranormal trope and they each have like a very different tone. Some are more explory, some are just kind of a straight up dungeon delve. Uh, some have some very weird things we haven't really done too much uh, in Pathfinder and I am, they kind of weave you into this paranormal narrative uh, that goes all across Galerian. Um, and the last thing I wanna talk about before we go into some really brief Q and A's is uh, that we have these eight case files and these are, these are big, right? Um, these are, large parts of the book, but we also have a number of incident reports. Um, these incident reports are just one page reports from an archivist associated with the dark archive telling us about like one thing that happened. Um, these were all completely just open to pitches from the authors. And then uh, we worked with the authors to kind of nail down a sort of like, what's a classic paranormal theme, but not one that we're devoting a full case file to, and how can we get into this? Um, as the Woodpile by Quinn Murphy, uh, this takes place 
in Garand and has to deal with kind of a, a thing related to Kunrasu, so you can see. So each one has a report and then it gives you one, one thing. Maybe that's an item, maybe that's a spell, maybe that's a feat that kind of relates to that. So this is a way um, to kind of give a bit of a taste of more paranormal things. And if, hey, if you're playing, you know, the kind of micro adventures all back to back and you need maybe to just get some more XP for your level for your group or something, and you're a GM, maybe you can take one of these instant reports and kind of build a little bit of a one shot or a campaign around it. So you can either use them as a springing off point or just as kind of a view into Galarian. So that is, uh, that's the Dark Archive. Um, it's, a, it's a cool book. It is full of some very weird stuff. Uh, and we're very excited to share it with everyone. Um, I think we have time for maybe just a couple of questions uh, before, uh, before we go on. Um, I've been looking at a couple, but you can put them into the chat uh, if you have any. We'll try to get to them. Uh, I saw one here. Logan, about the uh, ability score for the Thaumaturge and how that kind of intersects with the class. Do you want to maybe take that? Uh, sure. Is that is that the gist of it, or is there a little more detail? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Basically, um, just asking so, if it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the Thaumaturge uses Charisma. Um, we've made a couple tweaks to kind of uh, how, how they use it. Um, particularly related to kind of the recall knowledge ability that they had in the playtest. Um, so what we've done is given them a uh, esoteric lore, which is kind of in the vein of bardic lore, um, that they can use to recall knowledge about haunts, curses, uh, and creatures of any type, but not about other subjects. Uh, and they get to use their charisma modifier on their esoteric lore checks. Um, so they kind of have a... Uh, kind of an intuitive grasp of this knowledge that they don't necessarily need to have the highest intelligence in order to to call out this information. Um, and then that's what they primarily use for some of their other abilities that uh, require um, require specialized knowledge is that they get to make an esoteric lore check instead of a different type of skill. Cool. Um... I have one here asking about the Pact Binder. That was something that was in the Thaumaturge in the playtest. And I know in the kind of post playtest, uh, we said we kind of moved it out. Um, I think the Pact Binder is in the Curses and Pacts section. Uh, Avi, have, did you get a chance to take a look at that? No? Um, yeah, let me just pull that up. Um, the Pact Binder. Sorry, scrolling through PDF live. Yeah, um, the Packbinder. Thank you. The Packbinder archetype is uh, basically um, it's a so a, like a, a social kind of archetype. It's a role playing archetype, I would say. Um, that basically you can make pacts with different entities. Um, so it really is uh, the kind of thing where your GM uh, is going to work with you in order to find situations in which you can make pacts with different creatures, like whether it's a fae or a dragon or anything like that. And these feats allow you to gain powers from those different pacts that you make with creatures that you encounter in your adventures. Um, there's a question here about the rarity for the two time archetypes. Uh, the time mage is uncommon, 
uh, and the Chrono Skimmer is rare. This is kind of because the Chrono Skimmer, you know, in the world of Galarian, time magic is not unheard of. You know, everyone has haste, everyone has slow. Um, this is not unheard of, but kind of falling out of the time stream altogether is just in the Galarian setting, at least, is just a little more of a of a weird thing. Um, I think that in terms of kind of how they narratively and mechanically intersect, um, they're they're maybe on a similar level of complexity, but of course the rarity for Galarian is kind of the baseline of the setting. Um, are there any Fulu in this book? Not specifically, but one thing I really like about Thaumaturge is that the, uh, the kind of lore for the Thaumaturge is very global. They're kind of a very sort of magpie. So they have some stuff that's taken from like, you know, uh, English folklore, but they also have some stuff that's taken from kind of Chinese superstition or um, some like Native American superstitions kind of things. And they kind of use a little bit, it's not really a major part of the thing, but it's just like given as examples of flavor. I, there's kind of of the three sample arts that we have for both the psychic and the thaumaturge. I think they're both three very different views on kind of what you can do with that character. Um, unfortunately, this was kind of a long panel and we have a lot of questions. We, were, we are going to be in the Q&A in the Discord. So if we couldn't get to you, uh, I'm sorry, but please, we will all be there afterwards and we'll try to answer some questions there. Um, just to go over this, um, this book comes out uh, right now. This is our summer release, so this should be come out, coming out in time for Gen Con, uh, global shipping chains holding together, hopefully. Uh, and we will be uh, coming out with the iconic fictions for Mios and for Thaleon coming up in the next uh, you know, month to two months, which I am very excited to meet these characters. Um, and you know, a lot of really cool uh, freelance writers and designers and artists worked on this book. So I don't know if you liked anything in this panel and you want to go shout them out somewhere, I highly recommend you do that. Uh, they all did a really just a fantastic job on this. And I cannot wait for everybody to see this. Uh, cool. Well, that's it. Um, I hope you had some fun kind of looking into the paranormal mysteries here. Uh, and we will see you in the Discord. So take care, everyone. Bye. See you there. Bye. Bye, everybody.